Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, and here's an example of where Paul starts a sentence and then he'll go off and explain something and then he comes back to it. So the next few verses are like a parenthesis. He's explaining something about sin. And now he'll come back to it in verse 18. So verses 13 to 17 are like a parenthesis. So therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. I'm not addressing this phrase, sin is not charged against anyone in this morning's message. But I will do so in the sermon discussion on Wednesday. So I encourage you to be part of that if you want to know more about that specific phrase and that specific truth. But here, Paul is saying, sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The main point that Paul makes in this passage is this. Sin entered the world through Adam, and sin is increasing. But righteousness, justification, and grace entered the world through Jesus. And grace is increasing even more. That's the gist of what he is talking about. But let's break down what Paul says about Adam and Jesus. And then we'll get to what he says about grace. Grace that is the undeserved, the unearned, the unmerited mercy and favor of God to us. It is important for us to learn more about grace, more about the grace of God, since Romans 6 and the subsequent chapters rely on an understanding of grace to address how we should live in this earth. 
So if you don't know what the grace of God is, you're not able to grasp these other statements that Paul is making about how we live in the earth. But when we start to understand, grasp what grace is and what it means for our lives, then we say, ah, because of the grace of God, I can do this. Right? So just as I encouraged you to read Genesis 11, chapters 11 through 25 to learn more about the life of Abraham, I want to encourage you to read Genesis 1 through 5, chapters 1 through 5, to learn more about Adam, primarily in, verse, in chapters 1 through 3, but you have some references even in chapter 5. And even though Adam was God's crowning creation, Adam's desire to be like God and his act of disobedience caused sin and subsequently death to enter the world. Adam, along with Eve, are in essence representatives for all humanity. Their actions impacted all humanity since they were created by God to initiate and therefore represent humanity. Now, even if you don't think of sin being perpetuated to all humanity through Adam. This is the concept of original sin. That's the phrase that's used. So even if you don't understand that or you think of that and so on, it's very clear that at least this corrupted nature, the nature of man that was now corrupted by sin, the sinful nature, this propensity to sin, this tendency to sin, and even if you don't think about inherited guilt and all that, just this propensity to sin is passed on from Adam to his offspring. And so each one of us, when we are born, we are born with this natural ability to sin. No one has to coach us. No one has to teach us. We don't have to tell and train up the child to sin. Right? Sin comes naturally to us. And so we are, as the offspring of Adam, inheriting or having this propensity to sin. Now, when you hear that and you think of that and someone says to you, well, Adam sinned and now all of us have sinned, right? Or, you know, sin entered the world. And you may say, well, I was not there in the garden. I wouldn't have done this. And why is it that I should bear the consequence of Adam's sin? Or why is it that sin would have to enter the world because of this sin of Adam? But this representative nature of God's covenant and plans. This is exactly what we saw, we saw in the life of Abraham. God, are, it's choosing one person. And through that person is doing something that impacts a lot of people. Right? So God creates man and says, here, this is what you represent. And when he sinned, he impacts all of humanity. And there are similar stories throughout the Bible of this concept. And, and there are similar stories in our contemporary context too. Right? You, you can think about lawyers representing a whole group of consumers in a class action lawsuit. Right? And what that lawyer and that legal team does affects possibly millions of people, at least hundreds of thousands of people, you know, things of that nature. Trade union leaders, they represent large groups of workers in order to negotiate you know, labor laws and all sorts of other things. Government officials, in fact, the US Constitution and the US government is a representative republic. And so government officials represent large groups of citizens, 
they represent the views of those people. Or they, then they make decisions, they vote, they do other things that affect large groups of people. And in fact, if you think about it, the President of the United States, as a representative of the nation, can declare war against another nation. And when that happens, all the individuals in America are collectively at war with the other nation, no matter what you think individually. I mean, there's one representation that's made, and that affects the entire nation. So this concept is something we are familiar with. And it, this idea that God chooses an in individual and works through and so on, you know, we're, we can understand that, we can see that. And what we see here is that Adam's sin brought condemnation, but Jesus' gift brought justification. That's in verse 16. And we've been talking about justifying, being justified by faith and what that means. The result of one trespass was condemnation, but the result of one act of righteousness was justification. That's in verse 18. And the, through the, dis, the disobedience of the one man, through the disobedience of Adam, many were made sinners, but through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. That's in verse 19. The focus of all of this comparison, this, this contrast, the focus, and this is very important, is not on Adam and his sin. The focus is on Jesus and his redemption. So through one man if sin entered the world, here is the new Adam, and through this one man, justification now is made available to us. So this is actually very good news for us. None of us individually would have fared better than Adam. He was the person that was created by God. Right? We would have not fared individually better than Adam. But because God dealt with the consequence of sin through Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come, we can, through the Lord Jesus, now receive reconciliation, redemption. Right? The contrast. Through his individual action of sacrificing his life, Jesus causes a collective result of salvation for all humanity. All human beings. Jesus died on their behalf. Right? And you have to be, you have to be, so I started this part of the, what I was sharing by saying, you may say, well, I wasn't there in the Garden of Eden, you know, why should I accept Adam's action? If you don't or you won't accept Adam's action, then you can't accept Jesus' action. Because what was introduced through this one man has been redeemed, has been set right, has been reconciled through the other. And so we say, okay, sin entered through this way. But reconciliation, redemption, justification, righteousness, and grace have entered this other way. And that's the beauty of it. That's what is so wonderful for us that we can have this grace of God that has come to all humanity. You know, when we were studying the book of Ephesians more than two years ago, we read this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is, at now, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's beautiful. I mean, you know, I've, like I say, you'll just read through these scriptures again and again, go back and look at these things, and how wonderfully the word expresses it and summarizes it here, this, this portion from Ephesians is summarizing the things that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, and this, what we've just read in Romans chapter 5. Now, Whenever you think of the word grace, we often think of the phrase amazing grace. Right? The grace of God is truly amazing. That's why we can't stop singing about it. Right? We, we, you know, it's amazing grace. But when we use the word amazing, we're looking at grace from our perspective. And we're saying we are amazed that God would do this for us, that he would pour out his grace to us. We are amazed that it is free for us. We don't work, we don't earn it, we don't have a merit or favor, we don't have good works that equal it, nothing. We are amazed that God, that it's free for us. And we are amazed that we experience the ongoing, the continual grace of God in our lives the way that we do. Every single day. Right? Every single day we have opportunity to say, oh, oh I'm so glad that God is gracious to me. Right? If God was not showing me his grace, this would have been a mess. Or I would have said something else. Or this could have happened. Or I could have been in an accident. Or I was preserved in this way. I, oh God, thank you for your grace. And all, every day we have this opportunity to acknowledge the grace of God. And we say, wow, this is amazing grace. But when you think about it from God's perspective, God's not amazed by his grace, right? He just pours out his grace. But you, when you think about it from God's perspective, the more appropriate phrase for us may be to think of it as abounding grace. God's grace is without limit. It is his abundant provision. That's what verse 17 says. God's grace is abounding to us. It's not just that it's amazing. We may think of something as being amazing and being limited. But when you think about it as being abounding, there is no limit. God's grace is poured out for us. So how should we understand this abounding grace? Well, Paul says that grace abounds when sin abounds. 
grace abounds when sin abounds. And we're going to get into a few more things that are related to this in Romans chapter 6. But here's the thing. The saving grace of God is given to all people. And it is the grace of God that we are even saved, that, we, that our eyes are even opened, that our ears are even opened, that our minds are transformed, that we pay attention to the word of God and to the message of the gospel and we say, oh, and we respond. You know? So even that is the very saving grace of God that is poured out on all people. But I want to point out to you that grace abounds to those that receive that grace by faith. It's not just, you know, I mean, you can have, if you don't have gas in your car, you can't say, well, I don't have gas in my car, somehow gas will appear in my car. You go to the gas station, you pump grace in, pump grace, you pump gas into your car, and so your car has gas in it. Well, and you have to do something similar in terms of your grace. You don't just simply say, well, I'm, I'm depleted of grace, and God fill me up. You avail yourself, you appropriate, you receive by faith the grace of God. So grace abounds when sin abounds, but grace is abounding to those who receive it by faith. And I'm getting ahead a little bit, but let me just point out this. Sin, sin is not defeated because of the law. That's what this portion is also reminding us. And sin is not defeated because we keep the law by our good works. Sin is defeated only by grace. And so when the Bible says that when grace abounds, or pardon me, grace abounds when sin abounds, the focus, the wonderful truth, is that even if we look around and notice sin, we really need to say, I notice sin, but I notice grace a whole lot more. I see that when sin is increasing, the grace of God is increasing. That's the truth and the promise of God that we need to hold on to. Very, very often, we tend to bemoan our context, our condition, our, you know, the things that are happening. And we say, oh, look at this, and look at that, and see what's happening, and look at these people, and you know, this is happening in the country, and oh, and we, and we, we, we sort of get upset. We notice the sin. But I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Every time that something like that happens, you would say, God, help me to see your grace. Help me to see your grace because you said, when sin abounds, your grace will abound even more. Your, your grace will be poured out even more. So I want to look for that. I want to see that. I want to understand that. And so that's the perspective that we need to have when we are saying grace abounds when sin abounds. And as I've already started to make this point, grace abounds to those who receive it by faith. We were talking about this just even in the, in the fasting and prayer meeting yesterday that you, know, you have to position yourself where grace is abounding. If you're distant from God, you don't experience his abounding grace. But if you're in close proximity with God, when the grace is being poured out, when there's that overflow, you experience the abounding grace. You are receiving it by faith. 
You say, oh God, I thank you that this is your promise to me. I thank you that you care about me. I thank you that you provide for me. This is your abundant provision for me. Why do we feel a lack? Why are we discontent? Why are we not satisfied? Because we are not in place to experience abounding grace. Grace that is poured out in a way that is, there is no equal, there is no match in the world. And that brings us to this point that grace abounds. So grace abounds when sin abounds, grace abounds to those who receive it by faith, but grace abounds to bring eternal life. The purpose, the reason that God pours out his grace on our lives, he shows his mercy, he loves us, when he is justifying us, when he's saying, I see you as righteous because of what Jesus has done, it's so that we will be in eternity with him. It's so that we will have eternal life with him. It's not so that we will just have a great life on this earth. You know, I, I do believe that the Lord blesses us and cares for us and provides for us and he you know, takes care of all of our needs and so on. But the greater purpose is so that we will be in eternity with him. Grace abounds so that we are brought to eternal life. And the grace of God on a daily basis, grace that we don't take for granted, grace that we don't abuse, grace that we don't minimize or diminish in any way, is to ultimately bring us into the union that God had sought right from the beginning when he created Adam. That humanity, human beings, would be in fellowship, in communion, in relationship, in eternity with God. That's the power of the grace of God. That's the power of what we are talking about. Which means, oh, I see some words are missing on the slide. We respond and apply by appropriating the grace of God. We respond and apply by appropriating the grace of God. You know, the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, it is the good news of God's grace. It is the good news of God's mercy. It is the good news of God's faithfulness to us. We thank God that he pours out his grace to us. And so we have to appropriate that grace. We have to say, Lord God, I thank you that you have shown your grace to me. And that means that you know, whether you've been sitting in a church all your life or whether you're only recently hearing about the, this provision of God, what, he, what Jesus did on the cross, that means that appropriating that grace is to respond, is to say, Lord, I believe what you have done. I believe what you have said. I believe that you died on the cross for my sake. And I receive you. I believe and accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I desire to be made a new creation in Christ Jesus. I profess. I confess. Romans 10, we're going to get into that in a few more weeks here. But I confess. I proclaim that I believe in Jesus. That I receive this provision of God. This, this sacrifice of God that sanctifies me. This atonement of Christ by his blood that cleanses me. I'm receiving it. 
Not because somebody told me to say it, not because I'm just repeating a prayer, but because I truly, genuinely understand. I receive in my heart and I say, oh God, thank you for saving me. And I make that profession of faith. When we talk about people being born again, when we say that we witnessed to somebody and they accepted the Lord, that's what we're talking about. It's not about a method. It's about a sincere change. It's about receiving the grace of God. It's about saying, no matter what I knew or didn't, didn't know or thought I knew, I make this confession of faith that I believe in the Lord Jesus. You know, in the youth meeting on Friday, I was telling them that I was 10 years old. I had grown up in a Christian home. I was, you know, I, I was aware of these truths and so on. But I was 10 years old when I stood up in a public meeting and I said, I accept Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins. You know, I didn't fully understand all of the implications of it. And now here, more than 40 years later, I'm still discovering all the sins that he died for in my life. But, you know, I said, oh God, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you gave your life for me. And, I, and then I started weeping. I was like standing there going, oh. I was so moved, you know, just, you know, just thinking, considering what the Lord had done for me. But I made that statement when I was about 10 years old to say, Lord God, you have given me your grace. And I challenge you, I encourage you. Maybe there's no specific date that you can think of or time and so on. But I encourage you to go back and to think about, Lord, have I truly, completely believed, accepted, received? And have I professed that? Whether I did it in a large gathering or not is not the main question, but have I truly professed, confessed with my mouth that you are my savior, you are my Lord. And so we appropriate, we receive, we start to get filled with the grace of God because we position ourselves and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you, I cling to you. And as I come to you, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you save me, that you redeem me, that I am no longer bound by what Adam did, but I've been set free in Christ Jesus to live for eternity. Oh, what a glorious privilege. And every single day I remind myself of this. I preach the gospel to myself. Remember, that's what we said right at the beginning when Paul even starts in this epistle. He says, I, I, I'm reminding you and I'm preaching the gospel to you and I'm reminding and I'm preaching the gospel to myself every day because I want to remember what the Lord has done for me, what he has meant to me and how he has saved me. So this morning, in just a few minutes, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper in the communion and the breaking of bread. It is the wonderful opportunity to appropriate the grace of God. It is a beautiful time to be able to say, Lord God, I thank you that you died on the cross on my behalf, that your body was broken and your blood was shed for me. And as, I, as we just prepare for that, as we get ready for that, I want to encourage you that if you've never thought of this, that you've, if you've never considered whether your life has truly been joined to the Lord, I want to encourage you that you would pay attention to that now, today. Don't leave from here without that. If you're listening to this now or later, you know, and you have never done this. If you've never said to the Lord Jesus, I accept you, I receive you, let today be the day. Let today be the day that you say, let abounding grace that truly is amazing to me 
now be in my life. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are good to us, that you are kind to us, that Lord, even though sin entered the world through Adam, the second Adam has made it possible for me to be freed from that sin. I thank you, Lord, that you gave your life, that you shed your blood to set me free. Father, I pray that this morning as we truly understand, as we comprehend because of your Holy Spirit, that grace abounds. Grace abounds when sin abounds, but grace abounds as we receive it in faith. And grace abounds to bring me to eternal life with you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that brings me close to you today. That even as we sang and worshiped in the beginning of the service, it draws us into the throne room of grace. It brings us to the throne of grace and it allows us to bring our petitions and our, our supplications, our requests to you and to be confident that they are heard and answered because you show us grace. Thank you so much, Lord. Father, in all that we do together, Lord, we pray that we will walk out, live in this grace of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.